The text for this morning's sermon is, is Genesis chapter 1, the verses 28 and 29. We'll read those verses again. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, recently I listened to a podcast of The Briefing by Dr. Albert Moeller, President of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The Briefing is a daily analysis of cultural events in America from a biblical worldview. In the podcast on April 19th, Dr. Moeller asked, how many hours should you work in a week? Who should say how many hours you should work in a week? Who should say how many hours a company or an employer might require employees to work? What prompted Dr. Moeller's questions was a report in the Wall Street Journal that the California State Legislature was proposing to pass a law that would define the work week as 32 hours instead of the traditional 40 hours. Employees would be required to work only 32 hours, or four eight-hour days per week. The proposed law would require employers to pay their employees the same as they did previously for a 40-hour week. And if an employee worked more than 32 hours in any week, you'd be paid time and a half for those extra hours. This new proposed law would apply to all businesses that employed more than 500 employees, which applies to more than half of all those employed in California. Sounds like a great deal for employees, doesn't it? Getting paid the same pay for four days instead of for five, and getting paid overtime after 32 hours. But there's problems when the state tries to legislate contract terms between employers and employees. If such a law were to pass, there's nothing stopping California companies from moving their businesses out of state or even out of country. The result would likely be a massive loss of jobs. In the year 2000, France enshrined a 35-hour work week and a mandatory retirement age. These measures are not helping. Unemployment still remains high in France today. Their economy is suffering under these regulations. Yet there's a deeper problem with this push for a restriction on the work week. There is an underlying assumption that work is nothing more than a necessary evil. You see that message reinforced in many ways in our culture. You've probably heard the term, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. 
which refers to the relief and the excitement many feel when the work week is done. And after the weekend, you hear people say, it's back to the grind, or the weekend was too short. People talk about Freedom 55, about their financial planning allowing them to retire early. Many see their work as a prison sentence, something where we do our time and from which we seek to escape. But is that a biblical perspective on work? This morning in our crops and labor service, we're going to focus on the fact that God is the one who has commanded us to work. Work is part of our cultural mandate. It's not a necessary evil required to pay the bills. There is great dignity in fulfilling our calling to do our daily tasks. By doing our daily tasks, we serve God and our neighbor. It's through our daily work that God blesses us in many ways. This morning I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Our work is a noble calling from God and is blessed by him. We'll consider the dignity of work, the purpose of work, and the blessing of work. Our reading from Genesis 1 begins with God taking counsel before the creation of mankind. God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. This highlights the significance of our creation. The triune God decided to create man as the crown of the whole of his creation. God created man to reflect some of his nature and characteristics. God gave man knowledge. He gave man a true understanding of the world in which we live. He blessed us with the ability to think and reason and remember. God created man in righteousness and in holiness. At creation, man was sinless, able to serve God wholeheartedly, to live in close communion with him. And then God decided what man's function or task would be. He said, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God appointed man to serve as his representative on earth. He gave mankind dominion or rulership over creation. Our text shows that after creating man male and female, God communicated with our first parents, Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This command is often referred to as our cultural mandate. Here is where the Lord charges mankind with a dual task. 
We're commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're also commanded to subdue the earth and to have dominion over it. Many today suggest that the first part of the cultural mandate no longer applies. They think that the world is overpopulated, that it cannot continue to support billions of people. Sanford professor Paul Ehrlich wrote a very influential book in the 1970s titled The Population Bomb. This book serves as the Bible of the climate movement. It claimed that the world population was climbing at a far higher rate than the food supply could handle. This book provides the basis of the push for things like abortion and euthanasia in the culture today. It's interesting to note how someone like Elon Musk views this topic. He notes that many smart people think that there are too many people in this world and that the population is growing out of control. But he argues that it's exactly the opposite. He called the rapidly declining birth rates one of the biggest risks to civilization. He says if people don't have more children, civilization is going to crumble. Mark my words. As an example, he noted that at the current birth rate, in time, Japan's population would be cut almost in half. As Christians, we go back to what the Bible teaches. God commanded our first parents to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. This, beloved, was not a time-bound command. It's part of what we would call the creation mandate. The Lord teaches that children are a blessing, that they are a heritage from His hand. Mankind's mandate to fill the earth and subdue it cannot be fulfilled unless there are people to do it. And further, one of the primary ways in which Christ builds his church is through families. Talking about our calling to be fruitful and multiply is painful for some among us. There are some who would love to receive children or more children, but God in his wisdom has withheld this blessing from them. Those who have received children are faced with the challenge of bringing them up in the world in which we live. There are financial pressures. There are stresses in raising our children in an increasingly godless culture. But despite this, it's important to remember, God calls us to be fruitful and multiply. When he blesses us with children, he will also provide us the means to bring them up in the fear of his name. Let us as Christians continue to have a positive perspective on children. Let us see them as a blessing from God's hand. Our focus this morning is on the second part of the cultural mandate God commands us to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. For Adam and Eve, this began in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2 verse 15 says that God put man in the Garden of Eden 
to work it and keep it. Later, God commanded Adam to name all the animals and the birds. And naming them shows that Adam was placed in a position of rulership over them. What the creation account teaches is that Adam and Eve were not commanded to lounge about in the Garden of Eden. God didn't create them to sit around and to be entertained. They were put into the garden to cultivate it, to grow food in it. They were given work to do. They had responsibility over the animals and the birds. Please understand, beloved, that this was before the fall into sin. We often view work as a necessary evil and think that the need for work is part of the curse resulting from the fall into sin. Simply not true. The fall into sin has changed the nature of work to some degree. After the fall into sin, God cursed the ground. He said that it would bring forth thorns and thistles. He said that man would have to work in the sweat of his face to produce enough food to eat. In certain ways, work became toilsome. The curse has diminished the joy and the satisfaction that we get from working. But it has not taken away God's calling for us to work. We see this clearly in the fourth commandment. Often in the fourth commandment, we focus on the command to rest. But in this command, in the... There's also a mandate to work. In Exodus 20, the Lord commands, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. God commands us to labor and work six days of the week. Now, it needs to be clear what we mean by work. We often define work as what you do in your job or career, what you get paid for doing. That's not a biblical perspective on work. Our daily work involves all the tasks to which God calls us. It includes caring for our children And raising them to know and love and serve God. Work involves things like washing dishes and doing laundry and driving kids to school. Work includes the time you spend volunteering. Whether that's within the church community or in the broader community. In previous generations, the norm in life was to work hard to make ends meet. Many had to work six days a week to put food on the table, clothes on their backs, and a roof over their heads. Yet the general prosperity of Western culture has changed our expectations. Many people today no longer know how to work hard. People expect to have hours each day available for leisure time. It raises a basic question. What should the normal condition of humanity be? Working or resting? What should most of our time be devoted to? 
working, or playing. When we think about how many hours a week should form a basic work week, how much of our time should be devoted to work, and how much to our own leisure? I ask these questions with a specific purpose, beloved. I want you to consider the God-given role of work in our daily lives. Do you know what's happened to many people who attained their goal of Freedom 55? Many of them took six months or a year to do some traveling and soon got bored with all that and found another job or found a way to volunteer their time. Why, you ask? Well, it's because God created us to be busy with our daily tasks. He made us to work. The point is that work is not a punishment. Work has dignity. On the first six days of creation, God worked planning out this world and bringing it into existence. God created us to work. Working is part of what it means to be human. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who, for whatever reason, are cut off from doing their daily tasks quickly discover this has a profound impact on them. We need to work to thrive physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There are times when we're not really all that happy with the job we have or the daily tasks which God calls us to. The work environment may be difficult. The weather may be lousy. The pay may be poor. We may find our job boring or, rep- or repetitive. Even people who have jobs that they really enjoy face times and tasks where work is a drag. There's always more dishes that need to be done and clothes that need to be laundered and diapers that need to be changed. Work after the curse does involve toil, hardship, and frustration. And yet, beloved, God teaches us that no matter what our job or daily calling may be, we are to find enjoyment in it. It doesn't matter whether you're a scientist working on a cure for cancer or if you're a garbage collector. In Ecclesiastes 2, the preacher tells us there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. He notes that the ability to find enjoyment in our toil comes from the hand of God. He says, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. We need to see our work as a God-given mandate, as a noble calling from the Lord. Recognizing that work has dignity enables us to do our daily tasks with joy.
It brings us to our second point, and it will consider the purpose of work. Many years ago, I graduated from university with an honors bachelor of business administration. Going to business school opened my eyes to how many career-oriented people view work. Instead of viewing work as drudgery or punishment, many of them see work as their salvation. Many such people view their work as giving them an identity. The more prestigious the job, the more valuable they feel. Our society has created a hierarchy of work. Some work is valued more than other work. The work of doctors, of entrepreneurs, computer programmers is valued greatly and most often paid well. Manual work, cleaning jobs, and work caring for the elderly or those with disabilities is often viewed less positively and is often paid poorly. Many people believe that lower paying or lower status work is an assault on their dignity. Young people are tempted to aim for careers that promise higher wages or prestige, even if such jobs do not match their gifts. And so it's important to pause and consider what the purpose of work really is. God is the one who mandates us to work, to fulfill the calling to which he has called us. We need to remember that. The primary purpose of doing our daily tasks is not to give us fulfillment or to provide us with a paycheck. We're called to do our work as part of our service to God. Paul makes this clear in our reading from Ephesians 6. He teaches that we are to do our work not just to please an earthly master, but rather to please Christ the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 6 commands workers to do their work well, not as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So beloved, tomorrow morning when you get up and are faced with a new work week, what will your attitude be? You're going to be grumpy, bemoaning the need to get up and Go back to the grind? Or we get up cheerfully, understanding God has called you to serve Him in this new work week? We've noted that the primary purpose of doing our daily tasks is to praise and glorify God in this. Well, there's also a second reason for doing our daily tasks. It is in the service of our neighbor. Please think for a moment about how our Father in heaven answers our prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. There were times when God provided for his people in miraculous ways. When Israel was in the desert, he sent manna from heaven. When there's a famine in the land, God sent ravens to bring Elijah food each day. 
When the crowds around Jesus were hungry, he fed thousands by multiplying a boy's lunch. But that's not the normal way in which God provides for our daily food. Farmers grow crops and vegetables and fruit. They raise livestock and poultry for meat, milk, and eggs. Truckers transport this food to the grocery stores. Grocery staff stock shelves and check out food. Restaurants hire a chef to cook the food and waiters to serve it. Various businesses manufacture plates and cutlery. God provides our daily food through the work of hundreds of people living all over the world. Think about the homes we live in and the cars we drive. The building of your home requires architects, city planners, builders, a crew to put in the foundation, framers, roofers, plumbers, electricians, drywallers, painters, and many more. The car you drive requires engineers to design them, different factories to produce the frame, the body, the engine, the wheels and tires, the seats and dashboard. To live in a home or drive a vehicle on the road requires the service of so many different people, each contributing their portion to a finished product. The same applies to the clothes we wear, the education we receive, the medical care we require. The point, beloved, is that God uses many different people to provide our daily needs. All of us, in one way or another, are called not just to glorify God, but also to serve others through our daily tasks. As Christians, we need to see that God is caring for human beings and for the world in which we live through our daily work. Work is not our salvation by giving us our worth or identity or by providing us with money to buy things to make us happy. Our work matters because we do it in service to Christ and in the service of others. Brings us to our final point, and it will consider the blessing of work. In our text, God not only provided mankind with a mandate to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, God also promised to provide us with all our daily needs. God gave Adam and Eve a beautiful garden to live in. In our text, He told them, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in it, with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. After the fall into sin in Genesis 9, God also provided the animals as food for us to eat. Generally, it's through our daily work that God provides us with food to eat. There's a link between doing our work and receiving our daily bread. The Bible teaches that the worker is worthy of his wages. 
It pronounces a severe judgment on rich people who withhold the pay of those they employed. Part of God's blessing on our daily work is that he uses it to provide us with our material needs. And the Bible doesn't just teach us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. In Ecclesiastes 5, the preacher says that it is good and fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in our work. He says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift of God. Please note, beloved, it's not that it is a gift not only to receive wealth and possessions, but also to accept our lot in life and to enjoy our work. Is every part of our daily tasks enjoyable? We all know that's not the case. Living in this fallen and broken world, there are parts of every job that are repetitive, that are dreary and burdensome. Yet God has created each one of us with unique gifts and talents. Perhaps we're not able to use all our gifts and talents in our career or job, in what we do in paid employment. But then the onus is on us to use our gifts to serve God and the neighbor in other aspects in our lives. Our cultural mandate does not just involve providing goods and services through which we can survive. From out of the vast resources of this creation, we're called to develop things that are beautiful, that can be used to show forth our thanksgiving and our gratitude to God. Already in Genesis 4, we read about Jubal, the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Tubal-Cain, the forger of instruments of bronze and iron. God has created us with the ability to design and develop many different things. We use art to depict the beauty of God's creation. We use music and song to praise God and to provide enjoyment for our fellow man. The development of science and technology in the last hundred years is amazing. People use their minds and their hands to design and make all kinds of things. It's possible to send rockets into space and submarines into the depths of the sea. Medical research continues to provide new means of treating various illnesses and diseases. God blesses us not just with different gifts and talents, but also with much enjoyment when we use them for his glory or for the benefit of our neighbor. There's one further blessing that we derive from doing our work, from fulfilling our daily tasks. God uses the work that we do to shape us, to form our hearts. He uses work to allow us to grow and mature as his disciples. Our work is a spiritual formation training center. 
Perhaps I can explain this best by using an example. Moms and grandmas will often get their kids or grandkids to help them bake cookies. Baking cookies is a fair bit of work. But baking cookies with a toddler is even more work. So why would you get a young child to help you bake cookies? You get them to help, to teach them a skill. Most people learn best by getting involved in doing something with the guidance of someone else skilled at the task. Children learn to develop fine motor skills and to follow directions in a recipe. They learn that baking cookies requires time and patience. You get kids to help bake cookies to teach them that there's a blessing in doing so. At the end, you get to eat some yummy cookies. But that's not all. You get kids or grandkids to help in order to develop your relationship with them. Spending time together and working on a project together allows us to grow bonds of love with one another. In a similar way, God uses our work and the use of our gifts and talents to develop us. Very few people are good at anything without practice and repetition. Yet by working faithfully, God trains our minds and hands so we get better at what we're called to do. And at the same time, God trains our hearts. He teaches us to depend on Him, for without His blessing, our work is in vain. He teaches us how to relate with others around us, our boss, our fellow workers, the clients or customers we serve. He develops the fruit of the Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we see, beloved, that our work is a noble calling from God and is blessed by Him. God teaches us to view our daily work as a God-given calling. God calls us to use our gifts and talents to glorify Him and to serve our neighbor. Through our daily work, He provides us with our material needs. Through our daily work, He also grows and develops us into useful instruments in His hands. We're blessed when we can find enjoyment in in our daily tasks and in all the blessings God gives us through them. Amen.